all right, well, um, Genesis chapter 9, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split it up the way we kind of have been doing it in regards to, like, um, paragraphs. Um, it seems like these paragraphs are pretty easily split up. I think, I think we'll do verses 1 to 7 as one paragraph. Um, 8 to 11 is another, 12 to 17 is another, 18 to 19, and then 20 to probably the end, or 20 to 24, and then 24 to the end. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but um, last, our last chapter, just for um, recap's sake, just for our memory's sake, um, you know, we've been going through the story of Noah for the last few chapters, um, the flood, how he built the ark, how big the ark was. There's a lot of details in regards to what is happening during this time, what God is doing, what Noah is doing, what he's trying to move the people to do. Um, and, and we get a lot of detail of what it possibly could have looked like, you know, how the, how the animals went into the ark, um, how long he had um, been floating in, in the depths of the water. Uh, the last chapter saw the water decrease, um, coming to an end, and Noah finally found himself and his family on dry land. And the first thing he does is um, sacrifice to the Lord, a clean, clean animals to the Lord, um, and then thank him for, for saving his family alive during the probably the craziest event in, in human history. Um, but it doesn't last, and we're going to see that in this chapter. Um, Everything spirals out of control quite quickly. But um, any any questions? Or any thoughts from the last chapter? No. All right. Well, we're going to read from verse one to five. I'll read. I'll start. <clears throat> God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it, and I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in the image, in his image. Let you be fruitful and multiply and spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Okay, we'll stop right there. Any questions before we continue on? So, as a, another recap, um, God is giving the same exact direction or instruction that he gave to Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Um, he, the command was to replenish the earth with his offspring. In Genesis 1.28, it says, And God blessed them, and, get, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. I find that terminology of replenish kind of interesting. Replenish in chapter 1 comes from the, he, uh, the Hebrew word mala, which means to fill or to satisfy. Replenish in chapter 9 comes from the same Hebrew word. Um, to our understanding, the prefix re insinuates that there was a filling prior to that. 
In other words, we're filling it again. He says that at the beginning, says you're going to replenish the earth to Adam and Eve. You know, for instance, you don't you don't usually refill an empty cereal container with mac and cheese. Um, you would either fill it for the first time with mac and cheese, or you would refill it with cereal, which is what it was made for, if there had been cereal in it before. Um, I think you get the picture. But God is saying in the beginning with Adam that there must have been something that was living before Adam, and Adam needed to refill the earth with it. Human or not, I, I could only speculate. Either way, the command is still given here for, for Noah in the same way it was given to Adam. I have no doubt things were much quieter for Noah and his family during this time, and it may have been somewhat eerie and depressing, um, which we'll speak more about in a moment. Um, but obviously, the command for, for Noah it was the same command given to Adam and Eve to replenish, to fill the earth. Um, verse 3, it says, um, every creature that lives and moves will be food for you as I gave the green plants. I have given you everything. Again, something I find very interesting. This is the first time since the beginning of this that God has given man meat as provision. Before the flood, everyone was vegetarian. Everyone ate the fruit of the land. After the flood, animals were not just given for sacrifice, but also for provision. And this will tie in well with Christ later. More interesting, however, is, is the next verse, in verse 4. It says, however, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. Uh, you know, consuming blood was not allowed in this new earth after the flood. God confirms that blood is proof of life right here. And there was no way someone could drink blood and be satisfied. In fact, God knew that if you drank blood, it would only be... Uh, increasing your problems. It would only be causing more issues if you if you do that. Um, and why does that matter? Because God cares for his creation. And that's important for us to understand. Even after the flood, after he had destroyed almost all of living things on this earth, he shows his care still for his creation. He doesn't want the sacrifices of animals to be wasteful. And the best way to be sure the animal is dead is to drain the blood from the animals first. And I think that's pretty vital for God's character. Um, and then verses 5 and 6, it says, And I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I'll require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I'll require that person's life. Um, and then verse 6, I think, can be grouped with it. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed, for God made humans in his image. Um, and I group these two verses together because by themselves it doesn't make much sense. Uh, and, you know, we can get focused and say that, that eating blood from animals would or, or could be um, considered such a high offense to the Lord that animals will kill and attack you if you're not careful. Um, but really, God is making uh, a next point in the New Covenant, uh, which is the importance of abstaining from murder, um, which he's learned... <laughs> from the past based off of um, Cain and Abel. You know, we don't just kill to kill. Uh, we don't kill just to murder or just because it's fun. It's not It's not a sport. Um, there's a purpose for killing and, and it's not to callously take life. Um, rather, taking life requires the life of the person who took it. Um, if, that is, if that is the only motive is just to do it, just because. Um, this is the first protection of man that God implements upon man. 
This is the first time that God has put a rule down for man's protection. He says that justice must be served for someone who commits murder. And if that person is guilty of taking life, then it is justified that his life should be taken as well. We live in a society today, you know, where that's, that's largely gone out the window. You know, this, this particular command will ultimately make people think twice before committing heinous crimes like murder. We don't, we don't have that, that same idea of capital punishment. It's either life sentences or a slap on the wrist most of the time these days. And this doesn't decrease the response of sin and evil when we do it that way. When, when we get rid of a life for a life, that, that mentality of there's going to be a penalty for murder, the, the, the thought process is this will make it so people won't murder. They won't have a, an enticement to murder. That's not true. The opposite is, is it, it increases it. It increases the chances of people being more murderous because there's no penalty for it. They can get away with it. What about the um, death penalty? That doesn't exist in most states nowadays. There's only like a handful of states that exist. It hasn't existed in California since like the 80s. <clears throat> but they, they have an easier time committing those crimes, and so crime rates spike. Most of the states now, these days, have gotten rid of police altogether. <laughs> they don't want the police to even interfere. Um, they don't want people to even contain guns, and yet all that does is just cause more crime. There's uh, been recently on the news um, a talks about a, uh, a Chinese spy balloon <laughs> over the United States, uh, I think is Montana. Um, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, whether they should shoot it down or not. And uh, I think it's moved over to Central America now, or to the center of the United States, Central of the Amer America, <laughs> of the United States of America. Um, and people are still trying to figure out if they should shoot it down. Apparently news came out that... Um, one of the Chinese ambassadors, I suppose, uh, said that it was um, a weather balloon or something like that, and they, they lost control. Even though it's a controlled balloon, they can control it. Um, something, it just seems really fishy to me. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it seems pretty fishy. Either way, there's people that I know that live in, in the, especially the southern areas who have guns that could easily shoot it down. Um, our government's not doing that. I don't really know why, other than they say that they're afraid of civilian casualties if it falls and it crashes or something. I, I don't, it's a balloon. <laughs> I, just, I don't get it, but either way, and the, the point is, is uh, we, we, there's no, um, there's so much lack of, of, um, uh, I guess, fighting for your rights for your survival, for having that endeavor. There's so much lack of that today in America that we could easily be taken over. No problem. Um, and I think I think most governments know that. You know, we have a very strong military, but under the wrong leadership, it doesn't matter how strong that military is. Um, and, and so people can attack because of that, and people know that. People will abuse that. Um, and, and because we, we just, it's a slap on the wrist for murder and for death, for wars, for, for anything like that. It's just a, a slap on the wrist and a, and a hope you don't do it again. That's not going to stop anybody from doing anything. 
And we've learned that the hard way multiple times since the beginning of American history, since the beginning of history in general. Um, if, if you don't, if you don't um, you know, get, get the people to defend themselves, then the people will just succumb to the government. You know, the, the people will just succumb to bad leadership is what will happen. Evil leadership. I won't even say bad leadership. I'll say evil leadership. Um, and that's been proven throughout the Bible since the beginning of time. And that's why God puts this here. He's saying you can stick up for yourself when it comes to somebody taking life. It's, it's not just about taking life. And, and accidents will happen, and we'll, we'll read more about that. In fact, Moses was a part of that specific thing. Moses is writing this right now. He takes a life later on in Exodus, and he's running for his life because he didn't mean to do it. He does it out of uh, bitterness and anger. He's sticking up for somebody who's being mistreated. But um, that's neither here nor there. My point is um, God is, is putting, putting this into place um, to say you should not murder and that includes purposely killing animals just for the fun of it. Um, killing animals has to have a purpose. Um, killing any kind of life has to have a purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, some hunters don't just do it for fun. Yeah, some hunters do, yeah. And that's not right. Um, if, they, if they hunt, for instance, there's a lot of people that poach um, rhinos, their, their horns. There's no reason for that. That's just a waste of of killing. You can't eat rhino meat, and that's too tough, and it's not good. Um, but they they waste their their um, they're, they they're just killing is what they're doing. They're murdering with no with no cause. All right. Well, let's read um, verses seven to eleven. It says, "But you." meaning Noah, be multiply or be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by flood waters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. Any questions on that? No. Uh, God has made it, I think, abundantly clear what Noah's mission is at this point, to replenish the earth. And I don't believe that God thinks or assumes that Noah will become a murderer. Um, but God wants Noah to understand that the important thing to pass down to the following or the next generation is the importance of life. Because the future generations, especially in the generations today... <laughs> Um, will have very little interest or importance laid upon life, both of man and animals. Uh, we, we do not take life seriously anymore. And, and God has made that very, very important here to Noah. And this is part of the Noahic covenant. Um, you know, verses 8 to 10 speak um, specifically about that. You know, he, he even says... Um, you know, I, I'm making a, a covenant with you. Uh, he's um, uh, understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. That is us. You know, we're from the seed of, of Noah. We're from the seed of, of Adam. But Noah, being the benefactor of restarting the human race, is our direct descendant. Um, and the promise that was given to Noah here is the same promise that is given to us today. The promise is also made to the animals which is also interesting. Um, you know, the, the animals don't know it um, and they don't understand it, but God is promising 
all of creation something very important and it's proven even still today you know we see we see signs of it in animals you know not all animals are murderous beasts who feed on flesh just for the fun of it um, and we see signs of it in humans. Not all humans are murderous beasts who feed on flesh just for the fun of it. Um, Isaiah even prophesies about the lion and the lamb laying down together rather than the lion killing the lamb. He says in Isaiah eleven six, it says, The wolf also dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, um, which is a, a baby uh, sheep, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Imagine a lion eating straw. That's that was its sustenance. It's not eating meat. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall uh, put his hand on the cockatrice den. And this is speaking using old uh, old English terms here for for animals and and for instruments. And and they shall not hurt nor destroy. In all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And of course, that's not happening yet. That will happen um, in the new earth. Um, tells us that there's going to be animals here, but they're not going to be for food, and they're not going to be for, for hunting and gathering. Um, so the promise doesn't just stop there, though. In verse 11, he, he speaks even further. I establish my covenant with you that never again... Will every creature be wiped out by flood waters? There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. Um, and this promise has been given to Noah specifically, but it was a promise that is passed down to all generations. We benefit from this promise to Noah. You know, the next time God destroys the earth, he says it won't be by flood. He didn't say he wasn't going to destroy the earth. He just said he wasn't going to flood the earth to kill all of humans and all of the, his creation again. You know, his, his promise will stay true. It will be by fire the next time around. Um, furthermore, God does something he doesn't even have to do, and it still astounds scientists today, um, which he speaks more about in verses 12 to 17. Uh, would you like to read those? And God said, this is a sign of the covenant mm -hmm. I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. The covenant for all future generations, I have placed a bow in the clouds. And it will, it will be a sign of covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds. I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I will establish between me and every creature on earth. Making it clear, this is a covenant. I know. <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no doubt. And a covenant means it's a promise. It's, it's something that can never be broken. It's a bond that can't be broken. Um, covenants are made multiple times throughout the Bible. This one is specifically from God to Noah. He's making a promise that cannot be broken. God is promising Noah something. That cannot be broken. God then promises Abraham something that cannot be broken either, which will be talked about in later chapters. We're not quite there yet. Um, and then God promises David. God promises Christ, which in turn promises us. Christ keeps all of God's promises to the very T, um, but we also have promises in ourselves, which we can talk about um, in a different time. But but this promise that he's promising to Noah 
is an evident thing still today. I mean, we, we can see it today. The bow of God is still a sign that God takes care of us. Um, you know, scientists have studied rainbows for years, um, and I did some research on, on rainbows, um, and, and they have a, a very interesting grasp on what causes rainbows, which is namely an infraction of light. Uh, light pierced through the rainbow, you know, light that peering, that's peering through the rainbow causes the colors to shine through. Um, you know, this has given us understanding that our eyes don't see color in a normal way. Um, for instance, color is solemnly based on the eye's perspective. You know, all color we see, according to scientists, is actually white light. But the light reflecting from our eyes translates it to different colors. Our eyes make the colors, which is interesting. Um, it's all very complicated. It's all very interesting. And I won't spend a great deal of time on that particular viewpoint. No pun intended. Um, but the rainbow shows colors in a very different and complex way. In today, scientists don't fully understand why rainbows show the way that they do. They still can't figure it out. Why, why it arcs like that. They don't know why it has an arc or, or why it's, you know, all those colors that appear in that way and in that sequence every single time. It doesn't change. The picture here, though, is that God made a promise and then proved his promise tangibly. We saw the promise. We get to see it even still today. We can physically see it. And this isn't always how he displays his promises. But it is how he displays his most important ones for us to have faith. He displays it physically. In verses 14 to 16, um, it gives a picture um, on the promise, a, a better picture, I think. Um, it's not so much that God has proven his promise to us. That's, that's important. You know, if we read it, it says, where, where, Wherever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, he says, I, meaning God, will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. Um, and then verse 16, the bow will be in the clouds, and I, meaning God, will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. We can get in trouble assuming that God is too stupid to remember what he did. Um, and, I, and I find this really fascinating, his, his way of, of saying this. You know, the, the, the most fascinating part, I think, is that God uses this as a reminder to himself that he won't destroy earth in this way again. And you might say, well, why, why would God need to remind himself not to destroy the earth like that again? Would he really forget? I mean, he seems like he's, he's impl implying or implicating that he's going to forget. No, I think he's reminding the bond between us and him. It's not really um, him reminding himself. He's letting us know that he's not going to forget over and over again as, as a security thing, I guess, or a remembrance. Because that is something that um, the rainbow does make everybody think, whether you're a believer or not, because most people know the story. I think everyone, I think if you pressed anyone to, to talk about the most important story of the Bible, they'd probably say Noah and the flood. Most people would know Noah, unless... They just are living under a rock. Yeah. Um, but this, this sign is not for God's remembrance. I'll say it's a sign for God's mercy. He's going to see the world for the next however many years, and, and man will fall quickly. 
all over again. We, we see it, in fact, um, within the next few verses with Noah, which spoiled. Um, God will see the sin of man, which is the betrayal of man towards God, and it will hurt. It will hurt God. God doesn't like to see his children reject him, scorn him, mock him, or hate him, but that is exactly what man does every day. And it, it starts right here. God is just and holy and has a right to enact judgment on his creation. It's his creation, the key word being his. And so he makes promises, not just for us, but for himself so that he can justify his mercy. Not his wrath. He can justify his mercy because he can easily justify his wrath. But justifying his mercy is a little, little more difficult. And we don't deserve to be justified for our sins. But he finds every means possible to justify us. He does whatever he possibly can to provide mercy. Then it was a rainbow. And, and that promise was not meant to justify us from sin. But it was to justify him from never flooding the whole earth to kill everything again. It was sacrifice for sins. A constant work seeing as there was no meaningful sacrifice that could be given. An animal might have been killed in our place, but that could never, you know, live a perfect life for us. Today, it is the sacrifice of Christ which justifies us. God sees Christ's sacrifice. He sees it physically in front of him, and it helps him remember mercy, not sin. He could look at Sin, you can look at the world and, and miss Christ because they haven't accepted him and he can see sin. But the sacrifice for our sins is, is proof and it, and it reminds, reminds God of mercy. And that's the same thing with, with the rainbow. Is he sees the rainbow and it reminds God of mercy, not sin, not judgment. Um, you know, if we're, if we're not under the sacrifice of Christ, God will only see sin. And, th and there's no promise given to those under sin for God's mercy. There's no bow to cover their sin, so to speak. Um, and then verse 17, God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I will have established between me and every creature on earth. So the, the promise lasts for all generations is what he's saying. Um, and, and you can bet the bank on that. <laughs> if the, if the uh, rainbow does not appear again, then we have an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense? Yeah. Any questions before we... All right, I'm going to read... Um, I'm going to read 18 to 24. Actually, 18 to 25. No, 18 to 23. Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were Noah's sons. And from them, the whole earth was populated. I like how it just said Ham was the father of Canaan. It didn't talk about the kids of the other sons, but we'll get to that in a second. Noah, as a man of the soil, began by planting a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak, placed it over both their shoulders, and walking backward, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned that his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan 
is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves of his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Let God extend Japheth. 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 Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Go ahead and read the last two. Noah, uh, now Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So Noah's life lasted 950 years. Then he died. So this is a really interesting part of scripture. And it, it is the turning point for the rest of scripture. It is literally what sets in motion the promises to Israel, Israel even being a thing, um, and the land that's promised to them, which is a sign of, of you know, the promises of the Christian and Jesus Christ coming. Um, it, it sets up David, it sets up um, Christ and his ministry, it sets up um, everything up to even right now this point where we're studying scripture. Um, and it's really important that we don't mess this part up because <laughs> it's easy to mess it up, to read it. And be like, what is he talking about? Um, and, and then just kind of make up whatever we want. Um, so I'm going to try my best to clarify here. Um, we'll start with, we'll go through verse by verse. But verse 18, it says, Noah's sons who came out of the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. And that it, it highlights that on purpose. Canaan will be a very specifically uh, important character in this particular area. And to Moses, who is writing this, um, which we'll we'll, tie, we'll dive into in a second. But I, I would love to end this chapter off in verse 17. That would be great um, because the process that unfolds in this last half are, are really just disappointing. It's kind of sad. Um, you know, Focusing on verse 18, though, we have a little bit of a lineage story to Noah after the flood, which we'll get a full lineage story in chapter 10. But Noah um, mentions Canaan, or Moses mentions Canaan. Um, and, and, and this particular... That name, that particular name, as Mo Moses, I'm sure, is speaking it out loud, or even as the Israelites are reading this, that that name being mentioned was a great sign for the children of Israel. That name was important to them, seeing as they were headed to the land of Canaan while Moses was probably writing this account. Now, Moses, they hadn't gone into the land of Canaan, and that's something we can talk about in Deuteronomy, um, but they're right outside of it, and they're excited because that's where they're supposed to be. That's where God has promised them to be, which we'll read in a second. But it, it probably gave the readers and the listeners hope as they were traveling, this, this sign of Canaan. This is the moment um, of them coming to realization of what they were going into, the inheritance that they were getting through the Lord, and specifically through Noah. In verses 19 to 21, these three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Um, Noah, as a man of the soil, began by planting a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. I've seen a lot of preachers dwell on this. And I think most of them get it kind of wrong. Uh, I think they dwell on the wrong things. They focus in on the wrong parts of this. Um, I have the daunting and undesirable task of speaking of this difficulty with Noah. Um, this is not something I really want to talk about, especially in regards to what he's doing here. But but there are, are I think, 
I think there are men that are far, probably far, cap- far more capable of talking about this and, and better studied than me, you know, that could assess the sin here um, and deal with it applica- applicably. applicably. Um, but I will say that, that when a faithful man in the Bible is found in sin, it leaves a rather large impact on society today. No matter what it is. And, th- and that, that can be even here. You look at somebody that's that's been a part of Pastor Chapel, for instance. He's been a faithful pastor of uh, Lancaster Baptist for, what, 35, 35, 40, however many years now. It's been quite some time. Imagine if you found him in um, some sort of unforgettable sin. Imagine if he's in the place of Noah here and you found him drunk. How would you think of him? That would change your whole thought on on him and possibly even on Christianity, especially if he tries to justify it or especially if, if he's supposed to be an example of Christ. It starts making you think. And, and in this particular instance, we're talking about Noah and, and his state, um, and it has a large impact. A lot of people justify their sins based on the sins of others from the Bible. Uh, for instance, a large section of the Mormon church has justified polygamy. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, multiple. Having multiple wives. Because David and Solomon had hundreds and thousands of wives, so therefore God must be okay with it. And that's not true. In fact, Paul says you should be the husband of one wife, and, and that was what he was mentioning here. But when God points sin out in the Bible from the most faithful of characters, which is every single character, I want you to remember that, it is not to try and give off an idea that things are okay and that this is an okay thing for you to do, but rather these are lessons that should be learned. In fact, when you go to Hebrews 11, Noah is mentioned as a, an important character of faith. Um, and he's given a brief yet useful synopsis of his testimony. This was not the testimony that's given. It doesn't talk about that in Hebrews 11. It doesn't talk about his sin here. Um, but rather, it's just talk about his, his faith. That's all that's mentioned. The real sin here is not so much that he was uncovered in his tent. The sin here was of his drunkenness. Why? Well, being intoxicated will cause you to say and do some really stupid things, which we're going to see him that's say and do. I don't think he was very stressed because he he planted a vineyard and and maybe he accidentally got drunk. I don't think so. I think maybe he did he it on purpose. Well, he could feel it changing his whole thought process, but um, but he you know he has the favor of God in his life, um, and you are not to make big mistakes with your words or actions being under the influence. Of something else entirely because when you do verses 22 to 24 happens um 22 says ham the father of canaan saw his father naked told his two brother brothers outside then shem and japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders and walking backward they covered their father's nakedness their face their faces were turned away and they did not see their father um naked and when noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him he said and I'll say what he says in a minute. That's um, the thing, though. I was after he sobered up. He was asleep. 
No, he was he was still drunk. We'll talk about that. But what was happening here was his sons were trying to cover up his sin. But what happens next is where the drunkenness becomes the issue. Because he wasn't sober when he says this. Um, what he says is, is, or what he's about to say, will be the promise of the covenant. And, and it will be the fault of Canaan, of all people. He, he will be the one to suffer from the sin of Noah here. Verse 25 says, he said, Canaan is cursed. He'll be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. The curse was specifically on Canaan. Even though it was Shem and Japheth who placed the garment, it was them who, who covered the sin. Ham was the one that saw the issue, which is the father of Canaan. And so Noah put the full blame on his grandson, Canaan. The, the Canaanites were now cursed for the sake of God's appointed purpose, which we will study out. Uh, more thoroughly through Moses and Deuteronomy and Joshua. Obviously, the Canaanites have disappeared. They're, they're no longer a people. Um, so the curse that Noah speaks of here was initiated and kept. Um, the ultimate purpose of this particular story, however, is to show us the weakness of the flesh. Um, this man, Noah, could be labeled as a titan of the faith. People know Noah. People know the ark. They know the flood. Uh, they often reject or, dis reject or dismiss Noah and his sin. You know, People know David and Goliath, but they neglect David and his sin. People know Peter and the apostles, but they often neglect Peter and the apostles' sins. Um, you know, If these titans of the faith can be found falling, some continuously, I might add, then why should it be any surprise to us if we fall? We've spent, I think, millions, billions of dollars flying people into outer space. There is millions, if not billions, <laughs> of dollars spent on uh, preparing for a civilization on Mars. We, we want so badly to live on a different planet. The thou the, and, and it sounds amazing. I'll, I'll say that it is, I'm, not gonna, I'm not against it. I'm not you know, saying that it's something that's terrible or whatever. Um, it sounds interesting. But in the end, the issues of the Earth will still translate over to another planet. The same issues we face here are just going to be the same issues on Mars. We, we think we're getting away from the issues by starting civilization somewhere else. Only the, the richest and the most elite will be able to survive there. But they struggle with the same issues as the poorest here. God did not place us on other planets. He placed us on this one and gave us a manual about how to live here and we can't do that very well as it is. So why would we try to inhabit other planets when we can't even follow God's order for this one? We are sinful by nature, and, it, and it's something that God has been working on for generations, including in the most notable characters of the faith, save Jesus Christ, of course. You know, he didn't sin. There's no sin found in him. But we see that here with Noah. And in verses 26 and 27... He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Let God extend Japheth. Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. So the important thought to remember is that Moses is giving the account here. This was a promise to the children of Israel because they came from the line of Shem. 
So the thought and the promise that Canaan was going to become the servants of Shem gave them courage because that was the land that is promised to them to inhabit. They're going into the land of Canaan to take it. God promised that would be their land. And so that's what they're shooting for. And this is giving them faith. And then uh, the last two verses. Um, now Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So Noah's life lasted 950 years. Then he died. So Noah lived to a ripe young age of 950 years old before he died. And that's quite impressive. Um, you know, length of life was given to him specifically to see the world be replenished and for the story of God's work to be passed down correctly through his children and grandchildren and possibly great-grandchildren, um, something that will be spoken about in the next chapter. Um, many people know the surface level of, of Noah's story. They, they understand the flood, but this is the real uncut reality of <laughs> Noah's life, and it is left off on a bit of a sour note. And of course, that sour note means hope for the future, but to that time, it, it meant curses from your drunken grandfather who was to be the express image of God. <laughs> Any thoughts or questions?